Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Um, there's such a battle in this belief of the resurrected Christ. Um, and the challenges that we have every morning. I remember Billy Graham would always go around the world and he says, I know that Jesus lives. And so how do you prove it? He says, I talked to him this morning. How many talked to him this morning? Hallelujah. God is so good. Our friend uh, Reza Safa, he's a former Shiite Muslim and uh, really involved in the Islam religion. And they invited him. There's a lot of bass on, on, this, on this sound. Could you put some, some, take some bass off? Um, they invited him to debate a iman, which is a Islamic priest, uh, theologian. And there was about 3,000 people present. And Reza Safa said, how many people, uh, there's a lot of Islamic people, there are Christians. And all the Christians raise their hands. How many people have ever heard God speak to them? And all the Christians says that we've heard the Lord speak to us personally and has told us things. And, uh, you know, there, there must have been a thousand Christians there. They all raised their hands. And then he said, how many people here are Muslim? And they raised their hands. And he says, how many of you Muslims have heard God speak? And nobody raised their hand. So he says, that is, how, that is the reason I converted over from Islamic and Muslim uh, faith to a Christian faith because I have met Jesus Christ and I live with him and I converse with him and so that is the hope of the resurrection and there's always going to be people who challenge that and um, they won't be able to celebrate it's, so we have a twofold scenario here this morning we'll have a celebration of the greatest kind with regards to um, those of us who know and believe that Jesus Christ uh, died was buried and raised on the third day and then those of us that are still looking and still trying to find out that relationship, even some of us who are Christian, I was listening to a pastor last night, he says, I got into the Christian rut and I did everything Christianity told me to do with, without a relationship with God. And I think that's sadder than even being a non-believer, for you to pretend your Christianity, for you not to have a genuine relationship with the Lord. And our hope here, the only existence for Spring of Life Fellowship is that people will have an unhindered, unfettered, unrestricted access to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's one thing that holds us back from that relationship, it's called sin. It's sin in our life and sin in the lives of others. Selfishness. And that separates, the Bible says the wages of sin is death and that word in, in the Greek means separation. Every time we act selfishly and sinful, we are distant from the risen Christ. He says he comes with all his goodness and his grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. So the more we get selfishness out of our life, the more we get sin out of our life, the more disobedience and rebellion is far removed, the closer we are to Christ. We cannot, we should not be the new uh, age of Christians that are proclaiming a Christ while we are still yet in our sins. Um, people that are in adulterous relationships, people are in uh, disobedience and they praise God and hallelujah. It's like, that doesn't make sense. Because when the life of Christ is in you, all that other life is dead and gone. It's destroyed. He's given us the power of an indestructible life. And so that is the promise of the resurrection. That's the celebration. Um, meagerly, I know that if we were celebrating your birthday today, you'd like to see some balloons. But nobody brought balloons to Jesus' birthday today. I know that if it was uh, your day of celebration, you would have gotten here early. And you would have made preparations for the banquet hall and for the preparation. You did it. And you know why? Because we're still stuck on us. We're still stuck on stupid. We're walking in selfishness. This is the day that we should celebrate and get ready for all year long. It's known as the Super Bowl of Christianity. The day that we all tapped into the power of his life. I want to invite th uh, three gentlemen. I'm going to ask Kenny to come forward. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, Oscar to come forward. Um, is he in the back? I'm going to call him. Somebody call him, please. And um, I believe Joey's here also this morning. I know the fourth gentleman is Jose Palma, and he was working on moving into his new home. We give thanks to the Lord, opening uh, his life uh, and, and uh, prosperity for his three girls. They think they're in Disney World because they got a new house. 
running around everywhere. And uh, we were there last night real late helping them move in. And we thank the men who helped us and the women that went over. You make yourself available also to help uh, that family as they continue their transition into their new home. Um, these gentlemen that I called up here are gentlemen that uh, I, I, I really I want to declare that they have really come to the place of faithfulness in their walk with the Lord and uh, also as they plugged into our church and the vision to change the world. Um, these men are the ones that help me, the men that I'm constantly going to, to uh, ask them uh, to help me with the burdens I have as a pastor. Um, we also have Dr. Molina and Omar Vasquez as pastors in this church. Um, and we'll ask you guys to come up so people can see you too. Dr. Molina and Omar Vasquez um, have also helped in the last 15 years for the pastoral responsibilities we have. Um, I, I Listen to me. I want to say something. I can't even imagine what it would be to pastor goats. Pastoring sheep is hard enough. I don't know even, I don't know how they do that. This is Dr. Molina over there, my father, and also uh, Pastor Omar. Hey, you guys can receive them. They've done a fine job uh, during these 15 years. Uh, proof evident of their faithfulness is they're still here. And that's what God wants. God says, way before we're brought into the ministry, the requirement, Paul says, that you be found faithful. And, and that's what the lives of these men testify. Now, next week we'll be having our 15th anniversary. And uh, we're going to have a special celebration, not only for what God is doing through Spring of Life Fellowship and what we're doing around the world. We're going to have uh, next week also uh, R.T. Kendall, Dr. R.T. Kendall, who is a patriarch of the Christian faith. He's known all over the world. For us to have him in this church, I mean, this guy travels around with Joyce Myers and the great preachers, and he has, he has come here several times, especially when he lived in Key Largo. Uh, we invited him the first time, and then he kept on coming back because he liked what was here. And I would see him sitting here. I was like, oh, no, R.T. Kendall's in, in the service. But he's going to come back next week. Uh, we're going to have a great time in the 10 o'clock service, the 12 o'clock service. And then he'll be with us at the 6 o'clock celebration, our 15th anniversary celebration, where not only are we going to celebrate what God has done in and through our church and the impact we're having in the world and the promise of the, the impact we'll have in the future. But these three men here, along with Jose Palma, Joseph Torres, we call Kenny as, as our friendly way. But when we get in like a formal setting we call him Kenward <laughs> that, that, that brings him up there with the Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys we say Kenward Hanau and Kenny now a young man who's been together with Joseph in our lives for over 20 years how many think 20 years is a long time Amen. 20 years of faithfulness and Oscar Montané also who's been with us for the last 14 years as a faithful son a faithful servant a faithful man of God not faithful to me Understand this. This has been the dilemma we've had for a long time, that many people want to be faithful to the pastor, but they remain unfaithful to the Lord. They want to cater to some type of um, human relationship when this is not about that. This is about faithfulness to God. So together, these three men, together with Jose Palma, we're going to go ahead and ordain them as pastors of Spring of Life Fellowship next week. Amen? And so you will have access to more men that have the heart of God, more families that love the, the house of God and, and stand up, listen to me, in their testimony, not at church, all throughout the town, in their business, their businessmen, they're faithful in what God has called them to do, they're faithful in their marriage, they have amazing marriages, you could talk to any one of their wives, uh, I encourage you to do so. Let's get one appointment and say, I want all three of you wives to be there, all four of your wives to be there in a room, and I'm going to listen to godly women and download from virtuous women to be transformed in the counsel of God. And so I'm, the reason why I call, him, I call them up this morning is because I want the next seven days, like they do with the Pope, you know, we're going to have some white smoke coming out. Um, I want you to come up to me if in any way, in any form, you feel that they are not worthy to pastor you as the sheep of this house. 
and that you come to my office and feel freely. Because once they are ordained, I'm not going to listen to anybody about anything. So I'm going to weigh everything that the congregation I present to you guys today. You have seven days, the days of perfection, days of purity, days of them sweating bullets and worrying, wondering who's going to come up and say what. So um, you, you have access to talk with them, to consider them, to get to know them. And then next Sunday, they, they are going to, we're going to come before the presence of God, celebrate our anniversary, and also lay hands, ordaining them into the ministry to be pastors of the changing the world vision of spring of life. Amen? So we're super excited about that. Let's give them a big hand. Amen. So excited, like this one little young girl who was sitting down right before Easter, and her grandmother was reading her the Easter story, and got to the part where Jesus dies on the cross, and he's buried, and the little girl goes up to grandma and says, now the good part is coming. So let's pray, because the good part is coming. Father, we thank you for your goodness in this place. We give you thanks for the message of the cross, because it is the hope of resurrection. That if we too come to the place to die to ourselves and to put away sin and repent and confess and be baptized, you will bring us forth to a new life without selfishness, without sin, without rebellion, total submission and obedience to your word that we might see the glory of your goodness in our lives, in our wives, in our marriages, our husbands, our children might taste the power of of an indestructible life. We pray that your blessing would be in the hearts of each person, Lord. And even if they stand here today as Thomas, not understanding and not knowing and wanting to put their hands fully in to prove the evidence of your power and resurrection, Lord, that we might do so in the coming days and that you might continue to fulfill the work you've promised through the work of the cross, the burial and the resurrection that you have walked in, Lord. And we praise and glorify you as the risen Christ, knowing that if we too follow your footsteps, if we uh, model your life, when we die, Father God, as the grain of wheat must die and fall to the ground, then there's the promise of a life everlasting. Bless your word in the hearts and in the lives of your people. Allow us to reach the full capacity of your resurrection and purpose for our lives, Lord. And that light might shine in the midst of darkness, O oh God. And prosper your word this morning in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hallelujah. It is said this, that the saddest day upon the planet earth and the happiest day were three days apart. That day that Jesus hung on the cross and died was the most devastating thing that could ever take place because the pronunciation, the fulfillment of the prophetic words upon the life of this man who would die and raise from the dead was sitting there hanging on the cross already giving up his last breath and all the disciples ran and they would return back to how it was before the promise came. So Jesus had to come back and on the third day, three days later, the happiest day that has ever taken place on the planet earth. Christ coming back out of the grave when they went to go seek him, he was there no more. And he was up and about showing his victory to all those that knew him. They were concerned there in Matthew chapter 15, verse 43. It says, Joseph of Arimathea. This is historically documented. He was a very rich man, a prominent member of the council of leaders in Jerusalem. And he also, the Bible says in Matthew 15, 43, was waiting for the kingdom of God. He had the expectation. I don't know if we're going to be putting verses up there um, on the screen. We don't have them. We don't have them. Okay. We need the power of the resurrection there. We need people to raise up. Start taking their place in the body of Christ. This is what I hope happens after today. Listen to me. I don't know what's keeping you dead and out of sync with the purpose and plan of God for your life. But I pray that that power of the resurrection would come upon you. And you would resurrect your marriage and resurrect your family, resurrect your ministry. And, and come back from a really distraught, disgusting death. 
But the Bible says Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, very rich man who was waiting himself for the kingdom of God. The guy had heard the message of Jesus Christ. He went boldly to Pilate. He asked Pilate, the chief commander, he asked for Jesus' body. Can I have the, the, the guy who died this afternoon? Could, could you release the body for us? And the Bible says that he first wanted to make sure that Jesus was dead. He wanted to make sure that, um, and, and let's go read that in Mark 15, 44, where it says uh, that Pilate wasn't about to release this body before he checked out that Jesus had, in fact, died. And so he orders a centurion. Remember, a centurion is a man responsible for a hundred soldiers. This is a serious guy. Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoned the centurion. And he asked him if he had been dead for some time. Make sure that this guy is not going to come back. You make sure that I don't know what the guy did to make sure. But he went out there to make sure. And the Bible says in verse 45. So when he had found out from the centurion. There was a guy there doing the final medical exam. He granted the body to Joseph. And then he, talking about Joseph, went out to the finest place to find the most expensive suit. It says, he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in linen, the finest of garments. Now, why would you do that? Get the most expensive garment to wrap a dead body. And the people says that uh, somebody had said that when they interviewed Joseph of Arimathea and they asked him, why did you put such expensive garments on him? It's because he said he's only going to need them for three days. He's going to only use it for the weekend. He believed in the resurrection. He believed that Jesus would come back. In John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went out to the tomb. We've always said this, and it becomes the bummer of Christianity that the women are always leading, right? Where were the, all the women saying, Amen? Yes, ma'am, thank God. It says, It was early in the morning, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The huge stone that stood that nobody could move. It took a, a huge uh, amount of men to move this huge rock that stood before the tomb. And a pastor of ours, really friendly, uh, Pastor Wayne Hillsden of Jerusalem. He pastors new, the King of Kings Church there in Jerusalem. He says that little rock in front of the tomb was nothing for the rock of ages. God was able to move that stone and come back. When, when they saw that this tombstone had been rolled back, and they said, then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciples whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. This becomes the, the reality of the empty tomb. Where all other philosophers and, and all other people that have opinions on life and living are all still rotting in their tombs. Their bones are there. You could go visit their bones. But not in the tomb of Jesus Christ. He's no longer there. He has risen. And why are these things, the, the, the things that he has promised? He says like this in John chapter 10. Verse 10, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I want to ask you if you're living more of the devil's plan for your life. Scrutinize your life right now and ask yourself if your life is the expression of things missing, things gone, things destroyed. And that's, that's the truth of living away from the power of the risen Christ. And then Jesus says like this, that is the re real state of many people, but I have come that you might have something called life and that you might have what Jesus is saying life is at abundant measure. Um, I want to challenge you that, that what you're living is an expression of selfishness, rebellion, sin, 
laziness, all the things that are into your life that you're pursuing. I, I would like for you to make an exchange today. I would like for you to grab all that's miserable in your life and lay it at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I want, and I did this many years ago. I have a lot of pursuits. I have a lot of desires, none of which are greater than your pursuits and your desires. In other words, your plans for my life are greater than my plans. And that, that is a great crossroads because our life leads us into a lot of dead ends. How many say amen? There is a way that seems right to man, but it's end a dead end. A, I want to say a death lifestyle. I want you to understand what is a death lifestyle. It's selfishness at, on steroids. Me, me, me. It's the devil's hymn. Me, 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 me. That's what he thinks about. That's his constant affair. And that leads to a horrible existence. James chapter 3 verse 16 says that there, where there is selfish ambition, where there is self-seeking. Listen to me. Please listen. Where you're doing what you want, where you're desiring what you feel is your priority. There is confusion. That means there's no order. And there's every evil thing there. You are virtually saying, Satan, you and I are going to partner, my friend. I want to be just like you. Some young man told me last week, I don't believe in God. I said, well, do you believe in the devil? He says, no, I don't believe in the devil. I said, well, you're getting to be more like him every day. And that sinister being that you don't believe in, you're becoming more and more like him. And so Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give you in abundance. Is this something that's forced upon you? Let's get this out of the way real quick. Listen to me. This is a gift. And you decide, bring it in, or you decide, no, thank you. It's not an imposition. Nobody imposes their will upon you. Not even Jesus. In chapter 10 of John, verse 18, he said these words, and I, I want them to be your words. No one takes my life on 1018. No one takes my life. No one takes it from me. I voluntarily give it up. I lay it down. Myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up. But I have chosen to follow the commandment of my Father. I have decided that that's going to dictate my life. No one is obligating me to this. Listen, I have four children. They have never, my oldest is 18, youngest is 12. They have never asked me this question. Dad, why do we have to go to church? Never. Last, uh, yesterday, Richard Lopez was telling me his five-year-old son... Um, the mom had to come to Friday night uh, rehearsals. She's, she's one of the singers on the power, on the praise team. And so she's coming, and she told her little, how old is Samuel? He's like three or four. He's six? He's not in school yet. Four? Two years old, three years old. He says, Mom, you didn't take me to church. And, and it's because she, the husband got home and, and, and they were all ready to go to church. And she snuck out and came to rehearsal and they stayed. And so the dad was like at 12, he, he was knocked out. At midnight, the, the dad is putting him in bed and putting his clothes on. And he says, you didn't take me to church. You didn't take me to, you guys left me. So he went to sleep that night. Oh, he stayed crying. So he had to stay in his dad's arm until mom got home. Mom got home and put him to sleep because he was already sleeping. But in the morning, he woke up and went over to his mom and says, Good morning, Mom. How you doing? Hey, good morning, son. How you doing? You didn't take me to church. And so let's put a new shirt on you. You'll be happy because you'll have a new shirt today. And then you'll wipe out any sorrows you might have. And then he goes into the kitchen and says, Hey, Dad. And he goes, What? Mom didn't take me to church last night. And, it says, and the dad says, Let's go tell your mom. And so she walked, they walked back in the living room and throw the mom under the bus style. <laughs> hey, Mom, Samuel wants to tell you something. And then she goes, I know, he just told me already. He told me. And so the dad and the mom came to the agreement, let's not deceive our children. When we tell them something, let's do it. When we promise them something, let's follow up on it. So this expression of the church and of this laying down our lives and the, 
the power. See, see, Paul says in, in Philippians 3, I think it's verse 18, he says, I can't wait. This is his enthusiasm. I can't wait to lay down. That's not the one. Let me, let me find it real quick. Um, I can't wait to lay down my life that is of my own expression that I might see the life that God has for me. And so when he's writing these words down, um, here it is. Philippians 3.10, not 3.18. He says, so that I might draw closer to him and the power of this life of resurrection so that I can suffer being like him in the death. How many know Jesus was the death without doing anything wrong? Suffering is saying, you know, I know I'm right, but I'm just going to go with the flow here so that I might see the power of God. Verse 11. That by, my, by any means I might attain to raising up to a life beyond normal. I don't want to act like a human no more. I don't want to go around grumpy all day. I told this one man this week, I said, come here, man, my friend. I've known you for a long time. Is that the only face you have? Do you not have joy in that phase? Because it's 10 years now. And I know there's been good times. I know there's been bad times. And I know that there, but listen to me. You need to be transformed by the power of his resurrection. Yesterday, uh, we were uh, at Jose Palma's house. His, Nicole is six, seven years old. And she has a little uh, a, a wooden board. And you get to put, okay, today's Monday. Today is, and you get to, and there's one part that says, today I am excited. I said, hey, Nicole, tone it down to you're okay. She goes, no, no, I'm excited. <laughs> and then the next one says, I'm having a bad day, a so-so day, a great day, a good day, a great day. I said, hey, hey, turn it down to so-so. Everything doesn't have to be high. She goes, no, no, I'm having a great day. I said, no, no, look, look let's, let's put it on good day. She goes, no, 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 it's a great day. <laughs> and the parent says, pastor, this girl is like this all the time. She's always, she puts it on excited. It's like she's put it on a great day. And I'm asking you guys, come into the power of the resurrection. So nobody steals your joy. So nobody cramps your style. So nobody comes and messes with the power of the resurrection. This is what Paul is saying. He says, I want to go in this full blast. Let's read verse 10 again. He says, that I might know and the power of his resurrection that I might be conformed to the suffering and that I might have horsham, the harder my life becomes, the greater fertile soil for the flourishing of a life in Christ. And so when people say, man, you are like Jesus. You are like Christ, man. Nothing stops you. Nothing steals your joy. Nothing robs you from doing. These Christians that say, oh yeah, you're going to do that to me? Well, I'm backsliding. Hey, are you going to hurt my feelings? Well, I, guess what? I don't believe in God no more. Like, what? Are you insane? That's not the power of the resurrected life. It's a life exceedingly. It's, it's talked about, um, one of the descriptions is the power of an indestructible life. You get <coughs> Hallelujah. You're not going to mess with me. There's something that's greater 220 power than your little sting. Your little bite of sting is not going to affect me. A man was driving through the, through, the, through the countryside with his son. His son was allergic to bumblebees, and they were driving with their windows down. They were smelling all the wonderful fragrance. A bumblebee gets in the car. The son freaks out, and he's like, oh, dad, if this thing bites me, the dad grabs the bumblebee and squeezes it. And then releases it, and it flies, and it leaves. And the son said, what did you do? I said, he says, see this right here? This is a little stinger, and that's what makes you allergic. But I took the sting for you. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did. That's it. We're not supposed to continue to be uh, walking around getting stung. Walk in the character of Christ. You'll see it won't phase you. I tell people when I... When I travel and, and I share in different places, I say, look, I know that you don't like me, but it don't matter because God likes me. Amen. I know we can't get along, but that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with that because I get along with, with God. 
There's, I'm at peace already. There's nothing you could do to pull my chain anymore in the direction of bitterness and resentment. And so in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I write all these things we're talking about this morning. I've written them down. They're there for you. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. These things are for those who believe that you might know you are not going to get eternal life. You have eternal life. You're already living like when we're going to get to heaven. You're not waiting for you to die. You, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This greater measure, this amazing reality of the power of a risen life. John chapter 5 verse 21 says like this. Imagine if he has the power to give us, um, to bring someone back from the dead like Lazarus. How much power could work on your behalf of those of you that are alive, that have not died. For as the Father raises the dead. I mean, everybody say amen. amen. The Father raised the dead. He raised our life. From a death lifestyle. Now we have the life everlasting. The father raises the dead and gives life to them. Even so the son gives life to whom he will. Verse 22 it says. In addition for the father judges no one. But has committed all judgment to the son. Verse 23. So that everyone should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, and this is where it's at, my, my friends. I say the truth. He who hears my word and believes in who sent me, on the Father, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I, I want you to do this at home. I like to do this. Whenever somebody comes in for counseling, I like to sketch things out. I want you to put on one side of the sheet all the death lifestyle. Do, do, could, could I have some help this morning? Give me an example of a death lifestyle. Huh? Laziness. Lying. Tantrums. Angriness. Resentment. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Pride. Depression. Anxiety frustration, addiction, drug, alcoholism. Put all those things that is a death lifestyle on one side of the paper. And then on the other side, put everything. Um, how many say divorce is a death lifestyle? How many say homosexuality is death lifestyle, right? Okay, so on the other side, put everything that is a life lifestyle, which is peace and joy and everything that's conducive to life. You know, you go to the hospital and they hook you up to all these machines. They're called vi to find out what your vital organs are doing. And, 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 and hook up to all these things that are in your life. You tell me if you're living life or you're living death. You tell me if Jesus Christ is not in your life, there is no way. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one's connected to the goodness of my father but through me. There's no way. There's no religion. Um, so he's telling us we've passed over. In Romans 6, 4 it says, For we died and were buried with Christ. This is what we did when we came to Jesus. He says, you want to live for me? you got to die to yourself. Some of us are still like those, those old western cowboys. Pa, 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 pa. And they spend 50 hours and, and come on. Pa, 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 pa. And they're still rolling around and they've been Christians for 15, 20, 30, 40 years and they still have not died. And he says, we have died. We were buried with him. That's what we did when we believed, when we were born again, when we were baptized. Through baptism, conforming to his death, that just as Christ raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in a brand new life. Why are you still with that backpack? Like I told this gentleman, I said, brother, listen to me, that expression on your face I've known now for 10 years and that's not an expression that tells me that that God is in your life you're, you're so uptight you're so weary you're so overwhelmed let the life flow let the goodness of the God's presence flow 
Let it be evident that when you, when you prick somebody and it bleeds, you bleed the peace, the joy of God. Bleed the presence of God, the compassion of God, the forgiveness of God. I'm not going to forgive an aneurysm. You plop a vessel. Are you nuts? They say that when you touch electricity, if you are uptight, you die. But if you relax, it goes through you. I don't know if there's any electricians in, a, in, our, in our congregation. If you just relax, let it flow. Let the presence of God's life flow through you. Your uptightness is going to kill you and everyone around you. There's a new life. There's a new life. And let me tell you something. I'm going to say something right now. If this is not true, then we're a bunch of phony balonies. We're a bunch of fools, and we're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, If Christ has not raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still in the expression of your sins. You are still in your sins. The, the life of Christ came to break the power of sin. I do not act like I did when I didn't have Christ. I do not hold resentment. I do not hold unforgiveness. I do not let my joy be released. No way. If Christ is not risen, our faith is stupid, it's useless, and we're still Subject to our sins. This is why children do not want to come to play this game. If this is not real, let's go do something else. If there's no power in this life, why are we coming here? Why are we learning more about a life that is not real? Verse 18, in that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. All those who have Put their hope in, in, in this reality because one of the reasons why Christ raises from the dead is because the promise, just like it happened to me, it's going to happen to you. And it did happen to him. And then verse 19 says like this, and if our hope in Christ is only for this life, if we're only going to benefit from this life, we are all to be pitied of all men to be most pitied because the way they live in the world is, hey, brother, Let's have a good time while we have a good time. And then we die and it was all over. But there's not. There's, there's a new life. C.S. Lewis came up to the life and the cemetery plot of a man that had died. He was an atheist. And um, on his tombstone, he had asked the funeral parlor to, to write these words, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Because he was an atheist. And my friend, that's not true. Because whether you believe it or not, you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God on that day and have to give an account for the death style, for sin, selfishness, separation, for walking contrary to God. Romans 4.24, the Bible says like this, that for our benefit too, Christ rose. Not only for what he was doing, but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Verse 25. Who was delivered up because of our offense. He died because of us. And was raised up to put us in the place before God like we've never sinned. Like we've already fixed accounts. That's the most powerful thing of coming to the Lord. It's through his death and resurrection that now we have life. Now, Hebrews 7, 16. Listen, I want to share this with you because, you know, we, there might be evidence and signs of life. Doo-doo. 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 Almost died. There might be signs of this life in you, but it says, who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but has come according to the power of an endless life. No restriction. Nobody's going to hold you restricted, limited to conform to the things we know. And, and another translation says, the power of an indestructible life. That's, that's what makes our enemies. Uh, last week I was talking to a gentleman. He says, Joaquin Molina, I hate your gods. And I said, I love you. 
I love you. And I know you love me too. And he goes, I know I do love you. See, that's the power. That's the power. It's Jesus in me. It's Jesus in you. Amen. For all the world to see what we celebrate today. The power of God's goodness. He says that he has um, become that priest. The translation in, uh, in another translation says, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of the regulations of his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Romans 1, 3, and 4, it says, when he raised from the dead, he proved to all living creation that he is the son of God. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, Romans 1, 3, right? It says, concerning this son, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. In the natural, we have a lot of stuff we could say. But verse 4 says, and he is declared to be not a natural born existing person on the earth of some carnal legacy, but in a spiritual inheritance, everybody declares him to be the son of God with power. Power. Say it with me. Power. power. No, come on. Power. power. According to the spirit that lives in us of holiness because of the resurrection from the dead. Because of that. There's a supernatural anointing and presence that, that crosses us over from being, like Sixto Porra says, el hijo de, I don't forgot his mom's name. He says, el hijo de Juana. Yeah, you're el hijo de Juana, but you're el hijo de the most high God. When you allow the power of the resurrection to be in your life and you're manifesting it in a powerful way of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of submission, of obedience, of, of honor. I'm blessed to see our worship team. You guys don't have, you don't have an idea. You don't have an idea of the life they live. Not on stage. Talk to them. Get to know their personal lives, their personal meditation, their personal relationships. Get to know them so you see what's running through their veins. The Bible says like this, um, Romans 1.3, concerning the son, he was born, yeah, of the natural seed of David according to the flesh, but he's declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. Verse 5, through him, through this vessel of God, we receive grace. And we receive the ability to be obedient and to carry his name among the nations. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed for all men to die. And after this comes judgment. There's going to be a time, a time where you're going to stand before God. And, and, and he's going to question the expression and manifestation of that power of resurrection. And say, you never died. So you never lived. You never died. You never walked in death, so uh, laid down death so that you could walk in life. In John chapter 11, verse 38, Jesus uh, is suffering, and he's suffering because he's lost his friend. Then Jesus, groaning in himself, came to the tomb. He was so overwhelmed, and it was a cave, and there was a stone that laid against it. You know who was inside there, right? His friend Lazarus. The shortest verse in the whole Bible is Jesus, uh, John eleven thirty five, where it says, Jesus wept. Let's put that up there. Verse 35. It's not up there. There it is. Jesus wept. Every time he sees you stuck on stupid, death. How many have smelt the death stench? You, it's It's horrible. And I'm not talking about physical death. I'm talking about sin. Whenever there's sin in our life, man, that thing smells. You're like, woof. Man, whew. Call it a stink bomb. Who dropped the stink bomb? Somebody's walking in selfishness. Someone's walking in rebellion. Somebody's walking in disobedience, disconnected, a dismemberment. You disconnect and, and you leave that there and it rots over a couple days. When my kids were three, two, and one, I had them in my car, and I said, come here, guys. I'm going to teach you today what's, what sin smells like. And they're like, Dad, what are you talking about, man? You're crazy. <coughs> three, two, and one. Put them in my car, and I drove, 
And I drove and I drove. I said, where are we going? And we passed the, the smell of the horses. How many have gone through horse country in the summer? Smell. Oof. I said, no, it smells worse. Let's keep on driving. And I went by and, and I passed some, uh, this, this incinerary where they burn trash. How many know that? That smells. Oof. And they said, Dad, that's not. I go, no, it's worse. And I took them, and we rode behind Winn-Dixie on Bird Road and 67th Avenue. And I took them to the back part where, where in the summertime, all the produce that is rotten, that it sits there and leaks. And, and I promise you, if you stick your hand in there, you'll grow four fingers. It's a toxic waste. And, I said, and it, almost, it, it almost provoked you to, to be nauseous. It provoked nauseousness. You could puke right there. You could throw up. And I said, boys and girls, sm- I mean, boys, because the girl wasn't alive and I wouldn't do that to her. <laughs> Smell that. And they're like, no, dad, no, dad, get us away, dad, dad, no, no. I said, don't you ever forget what sin smells like. Don't you ever forget that that's what your life becomes. And I praise God to this day, they hate sin. Amen. They hate sin. Here it was. Jesus was weeping because his friend was rotting. In verse 39, he says, take away the stone. And his sister runs up and says, please don't. He's been dead for four days. And, and what did she say about her brother? By this time, there is a stench. Ask your neighbor, how bad is your stench? Don't be scared. Come on. Listen to me. You're not supposed to smell. Christ rose from the dead. No more stink bombs. No more rotten fruit. No more disgusting smell. And Jesus says in verse 40, didn't I say to you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Take away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you. For you have heard me. I know that you always hear me because the people who are standing here, I say this, that they might believe you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out, Lazarus, come forth. We know the goat has left the house. But we also know that you're not to be walking around in the stench of sin, selfishness. And the Bible says, and he who had died came out hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was wrapped with cloth and Jesus said to him lose him and let him go now we have a problem with Easter bunnies nowadays and Easter eggs but we want to say like this we want to say that this whole tradition of Easter is really the celebration known in the Old Testament as the festival of the harvest where it was in Leviticus chapter 23 that that God commanded his people to go out and get the first fruits of the barley harvest on the Sabbath and wave it before the Lord as the first fruits. And when they would do that, they had a sure harvest coming out with God's blessing of abundance. So the Bible says Jesus is our first fruits. And when he raised from the dead, what we celebrate is he's been waved in the presence of God as the first fruit offering to bring fragrance and, and enjoyment to the heart of God because he's bringing the rest of us with him in the same power of the resurrection, the same power of life. And so this morning, I know I have over, uh, I have over kept my stay, but I want to really ask you to begin to walk in the newness of life. 1 Corinthians 15, 22, we read that, that he is the first fruits that he is made alive forevermore. In verse 54 of that same chapter, when the perishable has closed with the imperishable, when you take up the garments of the resurrection, the mortal will with mortality. That now, after today, you will stand up and you'll say to the devil, where's your sting? Where is that death style you're trying to produce? All you're going to get is the life of Christ. All you're going to give is a testimony of his life living in me. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. 
so that the life that I have to live forevermore would be an expression of who he is. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, he will also bring you together with him. Let's stand today. We've had a great time together. I I just pray that you cross over from death to life, that you begin to fill yourself with the spirit of God, that you say, no one takes my life. I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up, but I have a commandment of the Father. And I want to live out that commandment that He has for me. I want to rejoice today as these disciples says, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas says, unless I put my uh, John 20, 27, he says, unless I put my hand into his side, I don't believe. Unless people are able to put their hand in your side, rattle you up, shake you upside down, bring you in and out, and prove they can't get you upset. They can't make you lose your peace. You're not going to backslide. You're not going to become an atheist. You're not going to disbelieve. You're going to walk in the power of life. People have been stricken with so many odd diseases, trials, and tri- uh, uh, difficulties, adversities. I-, I want to give you that, and this was what we do in this church. Press into us. Press into our homes. Press into our finances. Press into our computers. Press into our marriages. You know, some people, uh, they, they hear this, oh, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, and they start, listen to me. Live the life when the pastor's not there because Jesus is there. His presence is there. And then pull out Lysol to hide the stench because pastor is there. As he raised Lazarus from the dead, my friend, I have no doubt that he has the same desire for you. He says, I am my father's house. There are many mansions and I'm going to prepare one for you. John 15, 15 says, I no no longer call you servants. I call you my friends, and I promise you, once we have left this life, that he, just like he didn't leave Lazarus in the tomb, he's coming for you, my friend. He loves you. You are the friend of God. As we pray this morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ and want to cross over from death to life, and I can only tell you that once you take your step, you will notice the difference. Don't try to notice the difference before you've taken the step. If you could raise your hand this morning, I want to pray for you and say, I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of an indestructible life. I want to bless those who curse me. I want to love my enemies. I want to pray for the sick and see them healed. I want to see dead people that have died in their marriage. And we've seen that here, the resurrection of marriages. We've seen the resurrection of a son and a father reconciled. The power of the resurrection. That's what we celebrate today. So you raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. Say, Father God. God. Raise your hand. Say it out loud. Father Father God. I give you thanks that this is the day you have made for me to rejoice and be glad in it forgive my sins wipe away my rebellion my disobedience my selfishness and I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior I confess with my mouth that he is Lord I believe in my heart that he raised from the dead Write my name down in the Lamb's book of life that I might be an expression of Christ's fragrance in the world. Remove the stench of sin for I want to walk in the power of your resurrection. I give you thanks for what you have done. I bless your name. I know on the third day that Christ raised from the dead ascended to heaven and lives forevermore and he will come back for his own that they might also rise on the last day in Jesus name we pray and the house of God says amen